is the Come Read With Me podcast. Welcome to Come Read With Me, the Book of Mormon. This is episode number two. Welcome. Today, we are jumping into 1 Nephi chapter two, a highly critical chapter in the context of setting the stage for the rest of the Book of Mormon. But first, I want to do a quick recap of what we saw in 1 Nephi chapter one. Lehi, with his family, is in Jerusalem, warning the Jews of destruction for the Jews and Jerusalem if they do not repent. He is granted a vision, which gives him a warning that they are going to take his life And they mock him as he tries to warn them of their imminent destruction. He then is warned to leave Jerusalem with his family. And that's where we're going to pick up in chapter two. Okay, quick recap of what you're going to be hearing as we dive in. When you hear this sound, what you're going to hear next is scripture. If there's something that we're going to interject with, you will hear this sound right here. All right, those will be our ins and outs throughout the scriptures. Let's dive right in. First Nephi chapter two verse 1. For behold, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto my father, yea, even in a dream, and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Lehi, because of the things which thou hast done, and because thou hast been faithful, and declared unto this people the things which I commanded thee. Behold, they seek to take away thy life. And it came to pass, the Lord commanded my father, even in a dream, that he should take his family and depart into the wilderness. And it came to pass that he was obedient unto the word of the Lord, wherefore he did as the Lord commanded him. Let me just interject here at the end of verse two. It says that Lehi took his family and departed into the wilderness. Yes. That's kind of an old fashioned word, but using new, new age dictionaries, the Merriam-Webster dictionary defines the wilderness as a tract or region of uncultivated and uninhabited by human beings, or an area essentially undisturbed by human activity, or an empty or pathless area or region. So Lehi is going to uncharted territories. There's no path, there's no road, there's no civilization, there's no anything there. A little bit daunting to go into the wilderness. You'll hear that word a lot, but keep that in mind of what it means. I love it. Another thing that I want to point out here is this is now the third vision that Lehi has been granted. The first vision was when Lehi saw a pillar of fire in chapter one. The second is when he was in his bed in chapter one. The third now, he is being told in a dream that they are coming to kill him and that he needs to leave Jerusalem. Also, one thing I love in this is that the Lord speaks to him, and this is a quote now saying, blessed art thou Lehi because of the things which thou hast done. I can only imagine the satisfaction and gravity of hearing the Lord say that to you. Okay, back in verse four. And it came to pass that he departed into the wilderness and he left his house and the land of his inheritance and his gold and his silver and his precious things and took nothing with him, save it were his family and provisions and tents and departed into the wilderness. Eric. Beat me to it. Okay, one other definition here, provisions. Yes. The fact or state of being prepared beforehand or a stockpile of needed materials or supplies. So Love it. he left behind house, land of his inheritance, gold, silver, precious things, and took with him the basics, family, provisions, and tents, Exa- shelter. Exactly. I had the same thing in my notes of just sort of uh, on the left side of the page, what he left behind, on the right side of the page, what he took with him. Um, he left behind not only his house, his land, his gold, his silver, his precious things. He also left behind 
everything he had ever known, every bit of comfort he'd ever had, any bit of tradition that ever existed, every bit of just everything that was worldly and material in his life was left behind. And what he took with him was, of course, his faith in the God that was commanding this, and then also his family, and then enough to keep his family alive. I love the juxtaposition of those things and how clearly it lays out everything he left and what was really important to take with him. And we can draw on that in a parallel in our own lives. Exactly. He left behind his worldly identity, how the world would view him, who he was. And yet he took with him his identity, his spiritual identity, those things that mean the most to him and to Heavenly Father. Absolutely. I love it. Okay, back in verse five. And he came down by the borders near the shore of the Red Sea. And he traveled in the wilderness in the borders, which were nearer the Red Sea. And he did travel in the wilderness with his family, which consisted of my mother, Sariah, and my elder brothers, who were Laman, Lemuel, and Sam. And it came to pass that when he had traveled three days in the wilderness, he pitched his tent in a valley by the side of a river of water. And it came to pass that he built an altar of stones and made an offering unto the Lord and gave thanks unto the Lord our God. Okay, a couple of things I want to point out there. I was reading the Book of Mormon as part of a study group once where it was pointed out to me that somebody who knew Hebrew very well When river of water and altar of stones are both written in the way that they are and what that means. In Hebrew, if you are saying something is a river versus something is a river of water, what that means is a river of water is something that's temporary. It's a seasonal river that exists in a monsoon season, but maybe doesn't exist year round. Also then altar of stones would be meaning to say a sort of temporary altar that was being built to be used in a particular place and time, but wasn't something that was meant to be used forever. So I thought that was fascinating when you look into the actual Hebrew origins of what we're reading here. That is part of it right there. Another thing, when he says that he gave an offering, made an offering unto the Lord and gave thanks unto the Lord our God. Okay, offerings. For those who may not be familiar with the Old Testament, offerings are an important part of Jewish Mosaic law. Offerings can be done for a number of reasons. In Jewish history, this is known as korban or korban. And it was the act of performing an animal sacrifice or offering. And this is when an animal is slain on an altar and then burned and burned completely, meaning there is nothing left of it. Now it's done as an act of offering unto the Lord, and it has two distinct reasons for being done. One is expressing thanks and gratitude towards God, and another is as an act of atonement or repentance for sin and asking God for forgiveness. What's great about this is that we are seeing the first of those right here. They've been warned to leave. Now they have left. Now they're several days outside of Jerusalem, and they're taking a moment to stop to thank the Lord their God for having warned them and removing them from the danger that they had been presented in Jerusalem. Later on, we'll see more offerings of this other type. We'll get to that when we get there. Let me just add one quick reference here to the Bible in regards to Lehi's building an altar of stones in verse 7. That's in direct obedience to a commandment that's found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 24 through 26, and Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 5 through 6. Thank you. Make sure that you have your scriptures open and you're following along with us as we're going here. Have a pen with you. Write down some of these verses because I think Dave's got a few more of those in his back pocket as we keep going. Okay, back in with verse 8. And it came to pass that he called the name of the river Laman, and it emptied into the Red Sea, and the valley was in the borders near the mouth thereof. And when my father saw that the waters of the river emptied into the fountain of the Red Sea, he spake unto Laman, saying, O that thou mightest be like unto this river, continually running into the fountain of all righteousness. And he also spake unto Lemuel, O that thou mightest be like unto this valley, 
firm and steadfast and immovable in keeping the commandments of the Lord. Now this he spake because of the stiff neckedness of Laman and Lemuel. For behold, they did murmur in many things against their father, because he was a visionary man, and he had led them out of the land of Jerusalem to leave the land of their inheritance and their gold and their silver and their precious things to perish in the wilderness. And this, they said, he had done because of the foolish imaginations of his heart. Okay, a couple of things. One of the things I love about this is this is the first time we hear the word stiff neckedness, which might be something that requires definition. <laughs> Okay, stiff neckedness, uh, immovable, disobedient. How would you define this, Dave? Haughty, stubborn. Stubborn, I like that. Okay, so Laman and Lemuel, it says that they murmur against their father. So murmur is another one that might need definition. Murmur meaning complaining against, maybe not directly confronting, but quietly complaining against, maybe behind someone's back. You bet. Let me borrow another definition from Merriam-Webster. A half-suppressed or muttered complaint, grumbling, or a low, indistinct, but often continuous sound. Continuous sound. I like that. Anybody that has kids can relate to what the word murmur means. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Okay. Another thing I love here is that they say he was a visionary man, which sounds like a compliment, but they mean it to mean a delusional or crazy man. They feel like they're being led away from everything that's important to them. Notice, this is one of the things I love. We mentioned this earlier. Everything that was left behind in favor of everything that was more important, right? So what was more important? Faith in God, your family, enough to survive, all of those things, being commanded by God and acting in faith. Um, Notice that where they are in their particular context, Laman and Lemuel, what they're worried about is all those materialistic things. You can tell where their minds are and where where their treasures are laid in store is in gold and silver and houses and land and inheritance and all these other things. I love how it points out the distinction and, and how that's that's so obvious as a difference between one mindset and the other. Another thing I want to point out here. So Lehi speaks unto both Laman and Lemuel. And when he's speaking unto Laman, I love how he says that thou mightest be like unto this river, continually running into the fountain of all righteousness. And I love the vision there of Laman running. It's an action. He's moving. He's, he's leading. He's progressing, right? And then when he talks to Lemuel, he says that thou mightest be like unto this valley, firm and steadfast and immovable, the exact opposite of what he had just asked Laman to be. And what I love in this is that Laman was the eldest brother. He's the oldest. He's supposed to be the eventual leader of this entire family. He's supposed to be the birthright son. He's supposed to be everything that is going to be driving this family forward so that they can follow him into righteousness. And that's what Lehi is hoping for him and what he says here. Whereas Lemuel, who is already following Laman and already being taken off of the path of righteousness, he's saying to Lemuel, I wish you would stay righteous and I wish you would stand immovable and not led in these other directions. I like how human this moment is, where Lehi, a father that's concerned that his sons are going in the wrong direction, takes a moment to say exactly what he wants from each of these sons, depending on exactly who they are and exactly what their role should be in the family. One thing I want to point out too If you're listening here, one other thing that can help are some of these footnotes at the bottom. For example, in 1 Nephi chapter 2, verse 10, as we read, it says, Oh, that thou mightest be likened to this valley, firm and steadfast. You'll notice next to the word firm, it has a small letter A there. If you jump down to the bottom and you find verse 10, subletter A, it kind of further defines what firm could mean with Hebrew roots of which denote firmness and strength or might of man. Those are just other study guides that can help along the way. Excellent point. Thank you. Okay, back in at verse 12. And thus, Laman and Lemuel, being the eldest, did murmur against their father 
And they did murmur because they knew not the dealings of the God who had created them. Neither did they believe that Jerusalem, that great city, could be destroyed, according to the words of the prophets. And they were like unto the Jews who were at Jerusalem, who sought to take away the life of his father. Interesting that Nephi points out that his older brothers, Laman and Lemuel, were like unto the Jews who were at Jerusalem. Now, we know that the Jews at Jerusalem at that time were not very happy with Lehi and actually tried to kill him. Yes. That may or may not be what Laman and Lemuel were were thinking, but in the context of what were the Jews in Jerusalem at that time like? We're going to jump to a few verses in the Bible, if that's all right. Go for it, please. Grab out your marking pen or pencil. Uh, You can put these verses by the side of verse 13, first of which will be Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. And we can see that uh, the prophet Jeremiah said what he said about the evils indulged in by the Jews at Jerusalem during this period in history. And he says in verse two, oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men that I might leave my people and go from them for they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. And verse three, and they bend their tongues like the bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth for they proceed from evil to evil and they know not me, saith the Lord. Kind of interesting, right? Excellent, yes. Adulterers, liars. If I may continue, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 15 tells us that the Jews had gotten to the point of such spiritual insensitivity that they were no longer embarrassed by their wickedness. Verse 15 says, Were they ashamed when they, were, when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. And at the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. And one more verse here, Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. It's talking about sexual immorality seems to have run wild among the Jews at this time. In verse 7, it says, How shall I pardon thee for this? Thy children have forsaken me and sworn by them that are no gods. When I had fed them to the full, they then committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlot's houses. They were as fed horses in the morning, everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. Some pretty expressive language describing the conditions of Jerusalem at that time. And again, I'm not necessarily saying that Laman and Lemuel were doing all of these things, but they certainly were influenced by those things in the city of Jerusalem. And as it says in verse 13, they were likened to the Jews who were at Jerusalem who sought to take away the life of my father. Absolutely. One of the things I want to point out here is we're going to learn a lot more about Laman and Lemuel and some of their intentions later on. We don't necessarily know that right now at this point, they're intending to kill their father. So I want to point that out, but it is like they are like unto those people. And thank you for bringing those scriptures in from Jeremiah, which of course is in the Old Testament. One of the things we talked about last week is how Lehi was a contemporary of Jeremiah, and they were both preaching the same thing in Jerusalem at the same time. So thank you for bringing that in. Back in verse 14. And it came to pass that my father did speak unto them in the valley of Lemuel with power and being filled with the spirit until their frames did shake before him. And he did confound them that they durst not utter against him. Wherefore they did as he commanded them. And my <laughs> Sorry, man. <I laughs> Go ahead. I, no, I, I was going to jump right in there too. Go ahead. Okay. I wanted to find one more word, confound. Confound, yes. So it says in verse 14 that Lehi did confound them, Laman and Lemuel. Confound can mean refute, baffle, or frustrate, or to put to shame. Yes. And, I, and again, that provides context of, of how this father-son relationship worked with rebellious children and, and a father who was trying to do the best and follow God. 
One of the things that I love in this particular verse is how it points out that Lehi, when speaking to them with power and with the Spirit, did cause their frames to shake, and they did, he did confound them that they utter not a word against him. And then it says, they did as he commanded them. So one of the things that we're going to see here with Laman and Lemuel throughout this book is that Laman and Lemuel are going with the program the majority of the time. Really, as I look at Laman and Lemuel, I feel almost a sense of sort of empathy for them in that it feels relatable to me that there are many times where they're questioning and they're murmuring and they're complaining. And then there's times where they're, you know, called to repentance and they're called to remembrance. And then, you know what, they get on the program and they go along and they, they follow the, you know, what they're being told and they follow their prophetic leader who is in fact their father and they keep going and they keep going and they keep going. And then they hit another roadblock and they start murmuring and complaining again. And how relatable is that? You know, all of us who are trying to follow Jesus Christ in our lives, we have times where we are just on fire and the spirit is in us and we are with it and we can just feel goodness and and righteousness just coursing through us. And then there's times where we're hitting roadblocks and we're saying things we shouldn't say and we're doing things we shouldn't do and we're falling down. And I feel like Laman and Lemuel are a manifestation of that. Nephi, who wrote all of this, doesn't seem to have that same tendency. So it's a bit less relatable. Of course, a great example, one we should all seek to you know, strive for, but one that's relatable in Laman and Lemuel, um, some of those weaknesses that we can watch for in ourselves. Laman and Lemuel, relatable. Nephi, perhaps not so much. However, we're going to read three words in verse 16 that all of a sudden make Nephi that much more relatable to me. Absolutely. Okay, back in verse 15. And my father dwelt in a tent. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceedingly young, nevertheless being large in stature, and also having great desires to know of the mysteries of God, wherefore I did cry unto the Lord. And behold, he did visit me and did soften my heart, that I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. Wherefore, I did not rebel against him like unto my brothers. Awesome. Let me jump in here. The same words coming out of Lehi's mouth to all of his kids, Laman, Lemuel, Sam, Nephi, Laman and Lemuel reacted differently. Yep. Nephi here says that he did cry unto the Lord or prayed mightily unto the Lord, and the Lord did visit him and did soften my heart. That implies that perhaps Nephi had his own hardening of heart, you know? Yeah. It, it would be difficult to hear some of that stuff. But what I love about this is the great comparison between what Nephi did with that challenge versus what his brothers Laman and Lemuel did with that challenge. Absolutely. In my scriptures, I wrote the words, the difference right above this verse, because this is the difference. What he's admitting to here is that he needed his heart softened, right? That he had questions of his own, yet he wanted to know the mysteries of God. He had faith that God would answer his prayers. So he went to God in prayer. And in fact, God does answer prayers and God did answer prayers. And this is the difference. The difference is, are you seeking for worldly things and worldly desires and seeking worldly solutions? Or are you looking for God and looking for answers from him? Because in fact, God does answer prayers. And this is what Nephi experienced right here. So I love that. Thank you for bringing that in. Back in at verse 17. And I spake unto Sam, making known unto him the things which the Lord had manifested unto me by his Holy Spirit. And it came to pass that he believed in my words. But behold, Laman and Lemuel would not hearken unto my words. And being grieved because of the hardness of their hearts, I cried unto the Lord for them. And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto me, saying, Blessed art thou, Nephi, because of thy faith. For thou hast sought me diligently with lowliness of heart. 
And inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper and shall be led to a land of promise. Yea, even a land which I have prepared for you, yea, a land which is choice above all other lands. And inasmuch as thy brethren shall rebel against thee, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And inasmuch as thou shalt keep my commandments, thou shalt be made a ruler and a teacher over thy brethren. For behold, in that day that they shall rebel against me, I will curse them even with a sore curse, and they shall have no power over thy seed, except they shall rebel against me also. And if it so be that they rebel against me, they shall be a scourge unto thy seed to stir them up in the ways of remembrance. All right, some great things coming about here. Nephi goes to his older brother, Sam, and says to his older brother, Sam, that he prayed to God. And these are the things that he told me. Sam, of course, was of a similar mindset and listened to that and softened his own heart. Laman and Lemuel didn't. And so being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he cried unto the Lord for them. This is similar then, I think, to what Lehi was doing in chapter one, where Lehi was so grieved because of the wickedness in Jerusalem that he prayed with all of his might unto God for them. Now, this is Nephi praying for his brothers in much the same way. And of course, now Nephi being visited with with some tremendous things from essentially the, the second sentence in verse 19 to the end is the Lord speaking directly to Nephi. So I have all of this blocked out and read in my scriptures. A couple of things that I want to point out in here. Blessed art thou Nephi. That same thing, that same thing that if you can only imagine being in the presence of your of your heavenly father and hearing him say that to you, blessed art thou. I would love to hear that. Next, three times in slightly different ways, we hear the promise that we talked about in chapter one. The promise being, if you are righteous and keep my commandments, ye shall prosper. One time it said in exactly those words, inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, it said in inverse, and this is often done in Hebrew, by the way. You see this in, in the Psalms and many other times in the Old Testament, where to make a point, they say it in the affirmative, and they say the same thing then in the negative immediately after. And inasmuch as thy brethren shall rebel against thee, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. So that's just the inverse of righteousness equals prosperity, wickedness equals cut off from the presence of the Lord, the inverse. So 20 would be the, the positive, the affirmative, and verse 21 would be the negative exactly. to, re, to reinforce that principle. Exactly. And then the verse 22 says it in a slightly different way. And inasmuch as thou shalt keep my commandments, thou shalt be made a ruler and a teacher over thy brethren. And this is kind of, again, pitting the, the positive and the negative and just sort of combining them together to say, you will rule over them because of these choices. Um, so I love that. This is now three times in just those couple of verses and four times since the beginning of the Book of Mormon where this is reiterated. Righteousness is prosperity and that that's what these people are being promised as they're leaving Jerusalem. To follow up with that, you we had 20 in the affirmative, verse 21 in the negative. 22 is kind of uh, an, a mixture of both, but then 23 is exactly that. It, it then counters and says, in the day that they shall rebel against me, I will curse them. Yep. So you follow me, I bless you. You rebel against me, I curse you. It reinforces that same principle. Absolutely. And we'll see this over and over again. I, I make a point of putting a star next to the verses that I feel like are iterating this principle. And so I'll make sure to highlight and point these out as we keep going. Okay. That is the end of First Nephi chapter two. Dave, any final takeaways? You know, not a final takeaway yet. One more word to define. Uh, in verse 24, it says that if Nephi's people, if his posterity should rebel against the Lord, then they, meaning 
Laman and Lemuel's posterity shall be a scourge unto thy seed. A scourge meaning there'll be trouble. There'll be a pain in there'll be a pain in your butt. There'll be a thorn <laughs> in your side. Yes. Um, and the purpose of that is not just to punish them. This is one thing that I love. They shall be a scourge unto thy seed. Why? To stir them up in the ways of remembrance. Yes. Heavenly Father is constantly looking for ways to reinforce or change our behavior so that we will turn to him. Absolutely. Great point. My final takeaway from this chapter is looking for the humanity in these people. I think one of the things that points to the reality of the Book of Mormon for me is how human and how real all these interactions appear. When you look at Lehi in these chapters and how you hear him begging his sons to become righteous, and when you see how they are turning against him and rebelling against him, when you see also another brother deciding to take a different path, this feels so human and so real to me that as we continue to read the Book of Mormon together, I want people to look for the humanity in all all these verses because they're there. And then again, I just want to reiterate, inasmuch as he shall keep my commandments, you shall prosper and shall be led to a land of promise. One of the things that we know about scripture study is that effective scripture study is often relating the scriptures to yourself. Now, I might not be promised my own land of promise, but what this could be for me is that if I keep the commandments, I will prosper in the ways in which I shall prosper right? These same promises do apply to us today. Even though we're not being led to different lands, we're being led to areas of our own prosperity. Excellent point, Eric. My takeaways from this chapter echo yours. Follow the Lord and you're going to be blessed. You're going to prosper. Rebel against him and life's going to be miserable. Prosper? I think we talked about this in episode zero, maybe even episode one of what does prosper mean? Prosperity, in my mind, thinks of some of those worldly things that Lehi left behind in Jerusalem. It doesn't always mean, it can mean those things, but it does not always mean those things. We can prosper in our lives in ways other than the tangible, physical, financial, wealthy type ways. Absolutely. Great point. And then finally, I would invite you that are listening, how does the Lord speak to you? We've seen here, Lehi has been communicated to through dreams through visions, hearing the voice of the Lord. Sometimes that can be an audible. Sometimes that can be a feeling. How does the Lord speak to you? How is the Spirit telling you what the Lord wants wants you to hear? Now that's, that's one of my takeaways is that Heavenly Father communicates to His children here upon the earth in various means and methods, but the message is there. He's always there. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time as we continue reading the Book of Mormon together. Quick disclaimer here, this podcast is not produced by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Everything expressed in this podcast is the opinion of the people making it and is not endorsed by the church or its leaders. Everything in this podcast is intended to promote faith in Jesus Christ by helping you understand the Book of Mormon. Please listen to this podcast with an open heart and pray for guidance from the Lord as we continue reading the Book of Mormon. Thank you for listening.